Nobody puts baby in a corner. Travel back in time to the 80s, reliving the laughter. <laughs> the heroes. Pick up your phone and call the professionals. Go Ghostbusters. And the honesty. What's up, Norm? My nipples. It's freezing out there. Because just like you, we're stuck in the 80s. Sure, it's not 1985 right now, but who knows what tomorrow will bring. Hey, hey, welcome to Stuck in the 80s. It's your host, Jen with one N, and I'm here, as always, with my co-hostess with the mostess. Her frame is always strong, and she never has spaghetti arms. It's Gail from D.C. Hey, Jen. I'm so glad to be co-hosting with you again. Yeah, you too. Me too. Us too. (laughs) So, (laughs) So, today we're getting dirty. Gail, do you want to tell us the premise of today's show? Yes, I'd be happy to. One of the big movies from the 80s that hasn't gotten the spotlight yet on this show is Dirty Dancing. Jen and I have both been eager to do a Dirty Dancing show for quite a while, but Steve and Brad, being guys and being who they are, (laughs) weren't all that excited about it. And then a couple weeks ago, I became completely obsessed with the NFL Super Bowl ad that ran with Eli Manning and his receiver who recreated the final scene from Dirty Dancing in what I think is maybe the best Super Bowl ad of all time. I've probably watched it 25 times. (laughs) I think it is time. This movie is clearly at the center of the cultural zeitgeist if it is being recreated on the Super Bowl, you know, 30 years later. And Brad and Steve finally relented and we're doing the Dirty Dancing show on Stuck in the 80s. This is not a tragedy. A tragedy is three men trapped in a mine or police dogs used in Birmingham. Monks burning themselves in protest. Butt out, baby. And don't forget, Stuck in the 80s is a member of the CLNS Podcast Network. You can find our podcast on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, and the CLNS Media mobile app. And don't forget to listen to our podcast at the new CLNS Media website. You can find it at clnsmedia.com. And to help us do our dirty work, it's Steve Spears and B-Rad. I'm just here to carry the watermelons. Yeah, you would be, Steve. You would be. I don't really like watermelon, to be honest, but I really like the opportunity to sit in the backseat of the car on the way to the podcast vacation instead of having to drive. We brought a flask and everything. It's going to be great. 
Listen, wise ass, you got your own rules. Dance with the daughters. Teach them the mambo, the cha-cha, anything they pay for. But that's it. That's where it ends. No funny business, no conversations, and keep your hands off. So what is your experience with Dirty Dancing, guys? I would love to hear. For me, every girlfriend or wife I've ever had has made me watch this movie with them. So I've maybe seen it well, for every broken relationship I've had between 1987 and today. Um, <laughs> Even today, Give me a number. <laughs> it's, it's not a number. Give me a number. Probably a prime number. Even today, when I was rewatching it, I had Cat Benatar sitting by me, which was kind of eerie. What about you, Brad? Uh, I have seen this movie as of today. Are we counting today? Yeah. As of today, I've seen this movie one time. Whoa. When was the first? I watched it for the first time this week as an assignment for this podcast. I'd never seen it until Monday or Tuesday. And when I said to Katie, hey, I have to watch Dirty Dancing for. Uh, podcast she did not have her usual reaction when i say hey i have to watch this 80s movie she looked at me with bright eyes was like okay how about tonight I'm like but the olympics are on She's like well we gotta watch it you gotta get it done I'm like, okay okay so <laughs> so uh yeah i've seen it once uh and i have to say it's not what i thought it was gonna be you just put your pickle on everybody's plate college boy and leave the hard stuff to me Whoa. oh i'm so happy you said that because I know your expectations were really low. <laughs> uh, the lowest. Yeah. The lowest. So good. Yeah. Well. So we'll dig a little deeper. Before we do, Gail, you probably have seen this movie more than all three of us put together. So can you give us a little rundown <laughs> on this in case anyone else besides Brad in the world has never seen this movie? I would be happy to. Cool. This movie, Dirty Dancing, was released on August 21st, 1987. And I was thinking to myself, no one would ever release a movie on that date anymore. This is like dead summertime. Yeah. Too late in the summer, too early. Right. For, yeah, that's a, it's a dead right. zone. It's that's why they weird. released it then. Right. The director, I don't even know if I'm going to pronounce this right, Emile Ordolino. It stars Jennifer Grey as Baby, also known as Francis. Patrick Swayze as Johnny Castle. Jerry Orbach as Jake Hausman. Cynthia Rhodes as Penny. And I don't know if you guys caught it, but there's a cameo by Wayne Knight, um, also known as Newman, yep. who plays a comedian in this movie named Stan. Okay, we got horseshoes on the sidewalk in 15 minutes. We've got Splish Bash, the water class down by the lake. We have the still live art class. We got volleyball and croquet. For you older folks, we got sacks. <laughs> I'll give you a really quick recap. It is about a family who goes on vacation in the Catskills to what in the 60s was a typical vacation. It was sort of a like a, a big lodge, a big uh, hotel that people would go to and spend a week. You know, back in the 60s, sort of before the country went through a lot of the cultural upheaval it did at the end of the decade. There's two sisters, Lisa and Baby, Baby played by Jennifer Grey. She goes with her family and she falls in love with the dance instructor played by Patrick Swayze. And they spend the week together. He teaches her how to dance. They manage somehow to do it almost entirely in secret. There's a few things that happen along the way that show, let's see, perhaps they show baby's disillusionment with her father, who's someone that she always idolized. And people's honesty is tested and... Clearly, it's baby's kind of sexual awakening, her coming of age. 
she falls in love and then it culminates in a scene at the end where kind of everything comes out. It comes out that she's been involved with him, that he's been teaching her how to dance, that maybe he's not the bad guy her father thought he was, that the father's maybe not the great guy that she thought he was. And it all resolves in an absolutely improbable, unrealistic, but utterly compelling final dance. Scene. <laughs> that's, that's well done. Yeah, well put. Very well put. Sorry about the disruption, folks. But I always do the last dance of the season. But this year, somebody told me not to. So I'm going to do my kind of dancing with a great partner. Who's not only a terrific dancer, but somebody who's taught me that there are people willing to stand up for other people no matter what it costs them. Somebody who's taught me about the kind of person I want to be. Miss Frances Houseman. Sit down, Jake. Yeah, I'm really glad to hear you describe that last scene that way because I'm like, what? Oh yeah, <laughs> just, I mean, it, uh, it just it felt like it went from kind of a movie with some musical-like elements and a fair bit of suspension of disbelief to a full-blown production number at the end of it. Yeah, I mean, the end is ridiculous, but as you can see from the Super Bowl ad, like it has been recreated a million times. People love the final scene. I love the final scene. I will watch it over and over again, like I watch that ad over and over again. And yeah, it's completely unrealistic, but uh, I think it's just, it's this fairy tale that this movie is, and the end is just perfect. So, Gail, did you see it in the theater? You know, I think I did I actually can't entirely remember it came out just before I went to college and I remember my mother told me about it like I someone must have told her about it and said oh you've got to see this movie because I think it reminded her of her summers when she was young okay and I either saw it in the theater or I may have actually may have seen it on video and it may have even been on Betamax because I think that's what we had I just remember like loving it the first time I saw it. I mean, I definitely thought it was cheesy. I am not immune to the, the cheesiness of it. The, some of the dialogue is ridiculous. It's like I said, totally improbable. And I, you know, as a freshman in college, I, you know, considered myself really smart and figured, well, I'm, you know, I'm not going to fall for this sappy nonsense, but I just, <laughs> I did. And I just really liked it. So I, I feel like ever since then, I, I know it's cheesy. I know it's classic eighties at its, it's most ridiculous, but I just um, I just find it just so much fun to watch. Yeah, well, I, I actually remember seeing it in the theater with my friends. I think I was a freshman in high school, and I think we saw it a couple of times. I think we I remember going back more than once. It was just so much fun. And then I remember it was on USA Network like every weekend for a while. It was always always on cable. But I rewatched it for the first time in like fifteen years or so the other night, and I forgot how utterly charming it is. Just mm -hmm. charm. It just won me over all over. I, I thought, you know, I'll just watch it sort of like refresh my memory. And I was like smiling <laughs> for like an hour <laughs> and a half. It was so fun. Oh, look at all this leftover food. Are there still starving children in Europe? Uh, try Southeast Asia, Mom. All right. Robbie, baby wants to send her leftover pot roast to Southeast Asia. So uh, anything you don't finish, you wrap up. <laughs> Max, our baby's going to change the world. And when are you going to do, Missy? Elise is going to decorate it. If you saw it a few times in the movie theater, you obviously really liked it as a freshman. So did you, when you saw it with your friends, did you think, oh, this is silly and cheesy and ridiculous? Or do you think even back then you were like, oh, this is charming and sweet? I think back then we, we, I'll say, I'll speak for myself, not my, my girlfriends, but I, I think I probably identified with baby 
who was younger and seemed childish and still got the hot guy at the end. Like that's sort of like everybody's sort of fantasy that, you know, Jake Ryan will come pick them up at the wedding at the end. <laughs> so, yes. so I don't think I thought it was cheesy. I don't, I, the only thing I'll, and we can talk about the music more later, but the only thing that I do really will, will just turns my stomach every time is the, the words strung together. She's like the wind through my tree. <laughs> She's like the wind through my tree. So, Steve, when did you see this movie? <laughs> I got distracted with that stupid song. I was dragged to see this at the theater by my parents. And I know it was my mom. Obviously, it was not my dad who wanted to see this movie. But she had heard that it had the music of when she was a teenager. I mean, she loved the soundtrack to Dirty Dancing. And she'd heard about it ahead of time. So she dragged me to see it. And I guess I was at that stage where I just, I'd run out of nose. You know, you're allowed to have so many nose as a teenager. And I, 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 I was fresh out. Right. Yeah. I remember at the time just, just hating it. I was disgusted with Patrick Swayze because he, he's so strong one second, then so wimpy the next, and then so strong, and then so defiant, and then so wimpy. And it just keeps going back and forth and back and forth. But here's the thing. So like I said, I've seen it like, you know, a dozen times over the years. I watched it again, literally right before this podcast. I, I it, was, it was two o'clock, and I said, "What am I going to do for two hours?" And I'm like, "You know, you could watch the movie." And I sat there, I'm like, "Well, maybe if I'm lucky, it won't be on anywhere. Like, I, maybe I just I can't find it, you know? And that'll be great. I can say I tried, and nope, sure enough, it's on Amazon Prime. And I, I turned it on, and I started watching it, and. Damn it, I got sucked in and I started smiling and I started singing along and I started like get turned on by Jennifer Grey. And and I I just I fell for oh, it. I fell for oh. it. The whole stupid thing. I'm now I'm like identifying with Jerry Orbach, even though I don't have kids. I'm like, oh poor guy, I understand where he's coming from. By the end, I've watched it all the way to the credits. And then boom, you know, I'm a sucker for it all over again. There you go. Wow. Brad, what was your, I mean, now, tell us honestly, what did, what did you think? So, as I said, this was not what I thought it was going to be. I was expecting a straight up, completely stereotypical chick flick. Yeah. You know, and it starts up and it kind of starts down that path a little bit. And I'm like, oh my gosh, this resort thing is going to kill me. And then I was kind of thinking, you know, was that really, it's almost like, you know, forgive me. It's almost like the '80s cruise only on land I after the three same weeks. Thing. It's like, oh my God. It's like <laughs> we got bingo and there's dance lessons, and I'm like, oh my gosh, is this the precursor to like cruise oh, entertainment? Shit. It maybe totally. is. I thought the same. You know, and we've got the staff that that give dance lessons and that run the ping pong tournament. Anyway, so you, that kind of setup. I'm like, okay. If you try I'm wigs on at the '80s cruise this year, it last year. You know what? <laughs> It's funny you would say that because I was just running through my packing list. It's about a month out and I'm starting to worry whether I have stuff. And I don't have nearly as many wigs this year. Just oh. the one. Just the one wig this year. But no, I won't be trying on anybody else's wig because that's icky. <laughs> um, so then you get into, uh, you know, babies meeting the other dancers. And I'm like, oh, my God, they put the last scene of Footloose at the beginning of this movie. You know, what's going on here? And I just... The other stereotype I'll mention that just made my eyes click back in my head was the tap dancing black bandmaster. I'm like, really? This is our own Pino Suarez. 
really? But that, that was I just, the times, you I, know. I, I, I know, I know, and I and I appreciate that, but it's just as like, oh my gosh, it's. But uh, anyway, so so then we get into the storylines are a little deeper than I was expecting. I was not expecting her to learn how to dance. To uh, am I allowed to throw some spoilers out in here? Yeah, something I, I think like maybe thirty years old. old. You know, she learns how to dance so that the girl dancer can go get a you know, a, a backroom abortion. And I'm like, what the hell is going on in this movie? Kind of my preconceived notions that she and he were going to dance and that the whole thing was, cir- you know, kind of circled around that final scene, which I had seen once or twice were completely false. And I kind of had to sit back and, and let it come to me. Then once I had gotten past the assumptions, there are a couple things that I noticed as I watch it. I'm like, number one, there are an awful lot of red light bulbs in that camp. Every other room was, was lit red. Uh, and some of the the kind of the iconic lines of the iconic lines that you you know that I brought the watermelon or I carried a watermelon being one nobody puts baby yeah. in a corner that was awful yeah that was pretty bad Patrick Swayze sounds like he's reading it from like it sounds like a wooden doll saying words he's he's I didn't think he was very good in this picture and maybe that's just true to the character that you know like Steve says sometimes he's you know he's strong and then he's passive and you know he's a kid you know at least from from my perspective yeah. of 50 years old, he's a kid. He's not really sure what he is yet. So I was willing to excuse that kind of behavior. But I thought, honestly, he could dance, well, but you know, don't what's interesting, give him though, too many lines. I, I did notice right. I started doing some research. A lot of the scenes that are in that movie were never intended to actually be in the movie. They're, they're outtakes. The director thought they were oh. so endearing that he put them in there. Some of the scenes where you see Jennifer Graham, Patrick okay. Swayze with, with, with the real chemistry, which I think they have – but the scenes where it really shows, those were rehearsal scenes that were never supposed to make the, the film. And yet, you know, the director had him. He was like, you know, this is there's huh. some real chemistry here. There's some magic going on. And so they, they did make the film. Well, there was, there's probably six or ten scenes in that movie. The one where he's stroking her yeah, and she keeps right? cracking up like- laughing and he starts to get aggravated. That was them rehearsing. That's rehearsing. It has nothing to do with the movie. Yeah. So when I watch this and when I, anytime I do this for the podcast, I'd like, I have a notes file open. And I just write stuff down as it happens so I can remember it. And the one thing I came across, I'm just looking at them right now is I said, okay, damn it. I might've misjudged this picture slash gazebo scene. That scene with her and her dad, I, that, that, if, if they'd ended the movie, then I would have stood up and clapped. I'm sorry. I lied to you. But you lied too. told me everyone was alike and deserved a fair break but you meant everyone who was like you you told me you wanted me to change the world make it better but you meant by becoming a lawyer or an economist and marrying someone from Harvard I'm not proud of myself but I'm in this family too and you can't keep giving me the silent treatment There are a lot of things about me that aren't what you thought. But if you love me, you have to love all the things about me. And I love you. I'm sorry I let you down. I'm so sorry, Daddy. But you let me down, too. That was just like, oh, oh my gosh. But then yeah. then they, they gave it all back in the next scene. I have to ask that to, to Gail and Jen. I mean, do you guys connect with this movie on any sort of father-daughter level? I thought the father-daughter stuff was sort of uh, simplistic in this one. I mean, the way he 
was so idealistic about her and then how quickly he like shifted his affections over to her sister, who's clearly not, you know, nearly as kind of intellectual as, as Francis was. No, I actually, the father-daughter stuff in this is the part of the movie I, I like the least. Oh. I find it makes me uncomfortable. I don't find it realistic. Yeah, I sort of, I, I didn't pay that much attention to it either. It didn't bother me as much as I think it, it bothered you, Gail, but, it, but I didn't really pay much attention to it. W- what I will say is after this la- last viewing of it, Jennifer Grey is a fantastic actress. <laughs> like I didn't, I don't think I appreciated it at the time, and I kind of yeah. wish she had gotten better material after this because when I watch it again, it's a pretty nuanced performance. Like she hardly talks for the first fifteen minutes or so, and she's just this sort of like really like she's just <laughs> yeah. this sort of like ragdoll who gets kind of soaking pulled it up. around, yeah. and she's got wide eyes, and and then you know as she starts to gain confidence, she starts to talk more and and, and say more important things, and I don't know, I just I, I couldn't take my eyes off of her and i don't ever remember that happening before i'm not sure what what's different you know what seemed like to me is most endearing with her i mean and you're right you you describe her performance perfectly i mean she evolves with her confidence but the scene where she's trying to practice the dance steps on the bridge and she's counting to herself and she's going across the little bridge by herself and she keeps losing count and then starts throwing like a little hissy fit and stuff like that, and just keeps getting more and more aggravated with herself, and then yeah. more and more aggravated, and then oh, tries yeah. to keep snap yeah. back into it. I love that scene for some reason. I mean, that one makes me smile every time. Yeah, well, because it's supposed to be mm-hmm. private, and you get to see it. I think that's part of the fun. But what what I thought yeah. somebody had said that she fell in love with Patrick Swayze's character Johnny, and I think she does. But I think she falls in love when she go she carries the watermelon and sees these people like dancing with abandon. I think that's what she was in love with. And I, and I, and that's what's so right. fun to me about the movie and, and why I totally forgive it. It's Broadway ending, <laughs> but, um, way to describe it. <laughs> yeah, I, another thing too, as I was watching it, I thought, well, no wonder I grew up hating rich people, right? <laughs> Cause I, I sort of enjoyed the socioeconomic stuff. Like, you know, here are the people who work and here are the people who enjoy the yeah. fruits of their labor. Um, but that was a little bit, you know, kind of simplistic as well. Sort of the like rich people are like this and, you know. Right. It's like that scene in Titanic where the people, <laughs> you've got the people underground having the big boisterous exactly. party compared to the rich people upstairs. I wanted to address something that I think, Brad, you said about about being frustrated with uh, Patrick Swayze's character. I mean, I think there's that scene where she says, I'm sorry my father treated you so badly during the that kind of botched abortion. And mm-hmm. he says, no, your father was amazing. And he... You know, I think that what you're seeing is, and I mean, granted, it's, again, a somewhat cheesy movie and not the most complicated, but I do think what you're seeing is a guy who, you know, made his living with his body and his physical skill being very intimidated and impressed by people who are smart and who have sort of a professional background. And so he spends his his time in this movie vacillating between being the Johnny Castle everyone knows. And like when he first walks into that scene and the where they're doing the dirty dancing and everyone kind of se- separates and in comes Johnny yeah. and Penny. And he's like the king of the, he's the king of the resort. But yet he's only going to go so far because he's not ever going to be accomplished like these professionals he's with. And, you know, where he talks about how those rich women are throwing themselves at him and they're all like so perfumed and beautiful. And I think like he's straddling those two worlds. Like he's kind of the king of this one world and yet he's completely out of place in this other world, but he's in both of them. And that's maybe where the inconsistency in his personality is the root of that. And it comes out with his 
you know, the way he acts differently. Now, Patrick Swayze, yeah. may, maybe in his acting wasn't that convincing and it didn't yeah. show I, I it that the, well. When you say that, I mean, I think the, the character's written very well. I don't think he acted it very well, but I don't yeah. know. Maybe I, that's, I maybe that's what he was being directed to do. Yeah. Although, can you imagine anyone else in this role? Uh, it's not hard for I, me I like to do Jen. that since I've I only like, seen it the one time. But I like Gail's explanation for it. Like I, I listen to that and I sort of I sort of buy it now. I buy the performance a little bit more than I did before. That being said, you know he wasn't the first pick even to play that role. Really, Val Kilmer, I think, was offered. Yeah, that. that's right. Val Kilmer was offered that role, and Sarah Jessica Parker auditioned for Baby. I don't know whether she was you know close to getting it. Actually, that's ironic because didn't Jennifer Grey date? Matthew Broderick yep. forever. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Oh, that's funny. Yeah. She's also a dancer though. Uh, so well, she, maybe she danced too well. <laughs> yeah. Right. The question right. I have is, does Val Kilmer's mom teach dance out in Simi Valley? Like Patrick Swayze's mom did. Right. You know, there you go. Patrick so Swayze is probably a better dancer. Here's a little bit of uh, more background on the movie. So it was pretty much a low budget film. It came from a new studio at the time called Vestron Pictures, but it was a huge box office hit. So as of 2009, it had earned over 214 million worldwide. Wow! It was the first film to sell more than a million copies on home video. Really? So clearly, enjoyed a huge surge with uh, when people could rent it and watch it at home couple of other little pieces of trivia about the movie. As we mentioned before, Patrick Swayze and Jennifer Grey didn't really get along. They had actually worked together before on a movie called Red Dawn, and they hadn't gotten along then either, but he did convince her to do this movie. So he clearly was part of the push to get her cast in that role. That lift at the end was not rehearsed. They only did it that one time. Wow. You know, They didn't do multiple reshoots of it. She just went out there, did the lift, and that was that. And this is like a famous piece of trivia about the movie. I guess that they had very short amount of time to film it and they probably didn't have a lot of flexibility about location. So they filmed it during the fall and they did it in that lake. I think it was somewhere in Virginia and apparently it was absolutely freezing and that she had hypothermia by the end of the filming of that scene where they're in the lake together. And if you watch it, as I watched it earlier this afternoon, you would never know that she was that uncomfortable. Oh, there's a couple can you signs. see their breath? Yeah. You can see like steam coming off the water. And- I-, I did. <laughs> <laughs> you could tell it was cold. It was very cold. So do you guys remember Premiere Magazine? Sure. That movie magazine. I remember reading a bunch of trivia about Dirty Dancing in that. And what, the one that stuck in my brain for some reason is that um, what you're saying about the how very cold it was because it, it was fall. But they were trying to put the leaves back up on the trees so that they wouldn't have a bunch of... Oh, bare- oh yeah, right, yes. Right. And they're spray painting them. Right. One little bit of trivia that I appreciated was that Patrick Swayze hated that iconic line nobody puts baby in the corner which makes me happy because it's such a stupid line like it it, it was if if they could have come up with anything else for him to say right there because it was like this pivotal plot moment where he like shows up and says wait i do deserve to be with her and we're gonna go show this resort you know what we've been doing and he says that stupid line anything you're right anything else it's true anything else so he thought it was obviously i've heard that line before right i mean you just can't avoid it and i assumed it was something she was going to say in the movie like to like defend herself even if only to kind of pump herself up about something so then when he delivers the line i'm just like what i've lost all respect for that line now yeah no it's a terrible line get it out of here
So what I'd love to talk about is the other huge part of this movie, which is the soundtrack to this movie. Did you guys own own the Dirty Dancing soundtrack? I think I did. I bet you did. No. <laughs> you'll, you'll, you'll be surprised to hear that I do not Shocked. own a copy of this. Shocked. I know. Shocking. The final song, I've Had the Time of My Life, won the Golden Globe and the Academy Award for Best Original Song and a Grammy Award for Best Duet in 1987. The funny thing about the soundtrack is that it's a mix of modern stuff and older stuff. So there are some songs that were actually current at the time. And then there were a lot of songs that were new. So Hungry Eyes is Eric Carmen. She's like the wind. earlier. Patrick Swayze Power Ballad, which was actually written for a different movie. So if it sounds anachronistic, it's because it was, because it was written for a different Called movie. Called The Wind. <laughs> um, yeah, right. so I think it's Grandview, so, Grandview USA, actually. No way! Oh. Yeah, That's crazy. Yeah. I never knew that. Yeah, can you guys explain that to me? Because I understand why they, they would mix the music from for marketing purposes, but it really took me, even as I was watching it in the theater, it really takes you out of the era. Quick. Well, I think that was part of the point, which is to say this is this this movie represents the clash of older, old fashioned with modern and more racy. So having the two different styles of music makes sense that you've got the older stuff and then you've got the newer stuff and the stuff that they're dancing to downstairs and the stuff. And, and then I think that they did have to be marketable in the 80s. Right. Yeah. So the 80s were a time when movie soundtracks were just exploding. Yeah, that's true. And I think that they felt like if we want this movie to succeed, we need some, you know, original current stuff. It may also be, I just thought about this, if they were, if this was a low budget movie, they may not have been able to afford the songs that they wanted to put in. So maybe they felt like, well, we have to have some original stuff because we yeah, can't pay yeah. the royalties I, on the I other side. I can't stuff. help but wonder if some of the programming for the soundtrack was driven by the success of the Stand By Me soundtrack. Hmm, that's true. Because that oh, I'm sure. Very similar in that it had a lot of classic, uh, I, classic you know, stuff I, that you recognize. I know we hate She's Like the Wind, but I don't mind uh, Eric Carmen's song. Hungry Eyes. Hungry Eyes. I, to me, that's fine. I mean, I... I won't turn yeah. it off if it comes on 80s on 8 these days. But it's sort of cheesy. Uh, yeah. Oh, yeah. But that's okay. I mean, everyone likes a little cheese on their on their sandwich. The other thing I thought that was really funny in that ending scene with the big duet is <laughs> the resort owner leaning into the <laughs> bandmaster and saying, do you have the sheet music for this? Like, he's like, this is a great song. Like, just this weird kind of cross-pollinization that it's not just a production number that he's hearing it too. You know yeah. what I mean? Yeah. Well, I think he's like, what is, what is they, what are they playing? How are you keeping up? And the band yeah. is just like, oh. I don't know. I'm along for the ride here. I think this movie's watching for the changes. Right. So that song, I've Had the Time of My Life, was by Bill Medley and Jennifer Warrens. And this song, I think this song makes the movie. And in 2004, the AFI ranked that number 86 among the top tunes in American cinema. Do you know what song I love from this movie? And then I was obsessed with it for a while because it was such a weird little song. They're talking about Mickey and Sylvia, and there's like a little talking in it. I think it's yeah. when they're when they were playing. Oh yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. Hello, lover boy. It. That's it. You know, that's another scene that was not supposed to be in the movie. That was just them warming up. It was adorable. Huh. Oh, you mean where they're in her yeah. when they're in his little yep. studio not, and practicing? Not supposed to be in the movie. Sylvia. Yes, Mickey. How you call your lover boy? Come here, lover boy. And if he doesn't answer. 
Because that's a great little scene. That's a great interplay. It is. Between I mean, that's what I'm saying. To some degree, this movie is beloved by almost accident. <laughs> that's not a bad thing. Yeah. It's better to be, you know, beloved by accident. I think that's the sophomore album <laughs> yeah, from my new band. It's also my uh, theme song. <laughs> but you're right. It's it's better than the reverse than to have something that they think that's is right. going to be a big hit and nobody likes it. Hated on purpose. So let me ask you this. Right. I mean, it's been 31 years now since this movie came out. What do you think this movie's legacy is? Well, I mean, I think it just still remains one of the great romantic, sweet, fun movies of the decade. And I hate to keep harping on the Super Bowl ad, but the fact that they got these football players to do it. And actually, I read some background on the history of the making of that ad. And I guess Eli Manning basically called his teammates and said, hey, will you guys show up and do this thing? And they're like, okay. I mean, they did it voluntarily. They showed up. They didn't need a whole lot of training, but clearly they all were at least aware of the movie, were aware of the scene. And I thought the fact that this many decades later, we're still recreating it in some way or another just shows the staying power of the story and how sweet and romantic so it I is. So I just had a crazy thought. I recently watched Karate Kid, and that's another movie that has stayed with us for a long time with different lines and and the very ending where he does mm-hmm. the crane kick, where Daniel sets up to do the crane kick, mm-hmm. and that's the lift. And it's kind of, I, I guess that's why I was enjoying the movie so much the other night, watching it again, mm. is it feels like a karate kid for girls, <laughs> in a way. You know what I mean? It's it sort of got, it, it, it's, it's a coming of age, it's, I don't know, I don't know. I, I'm just going to put that out there, that, that it may possibly be karate kid for girls. That's interesting. That have that kind of iconic moment. Right. Yeah, yeah, sure. yeah I like fine. that. I like that. And, and of course, the movie's been attempted as a sequel. There was a one called Dirty Dancing Havana Nights. Did anyone see that? I saw no. it in the theater, and it is awful. <laughs> it's awful. It has nothing to do. The only thing it has to do with Dirty Dancing is it's called Dirty Dancing. Yeah. There is literally nothing else okay. about the movie that even resembles the original. Of course, there's the legacy of the actors themselves. Patrick Swayze died of uh, pancreatic cancer in 2009. Uh, Jerry Orbach died, I think, was, was before that, I think 2004, maybe he had died from, and he had cancer as well. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Jennifer Grey, I, I think you could say, is, is hardly recognizable anymore. Sadly. Had a nose job. Yeah. I think that that nose job really, it just made her unrecognizable. And I think it changed her features so much that she lost her character. She lost what people thought of her. And I don't think she ever really truly recovered from that nose job. Um, Interesting. She was on Dancing with the Stars a couple years ago, and they really wanted her to recreate the scene in Dancing with the Stars. And she said she wouldn't do it. She said, that's that's my song with him, and he's not here, and I don't want to do it without him. Wow, you know what? When you started that, I'm like, come on. And then you gave the reason, and I'm like, oh. Yeah. Yeah. I think she did that song, Do You Love Me? She did that, but she wouldn't do uh, I've Had the Time of My Life. Okay. I have to mention, because I may not be able to mention her in a future podcast unless we do a a Flashdance episode, but Cynthia Rhodes, you guys. I just want to give a shout out to Cynthia Rhodes as as um, Johnny's friend and, and dancer and the one who had to get the said abortion. But she, 
I was so glad to see her in this movie because I remembered her from Flashdance, where she does the incredible um, okay. uh, manhunt dance. Oh, I was trying to remember yeah. where, what oh, other yeah. movie and she then, was in. And, in and then after that, um, I think it might have been even the same year, she was in Staying Alive, the weird sequel yeah. to um, yeah. Saturday Night Fever. And she, and she right. was um, John Travolta's girlfriend in that and an amazing dancer on Broadway, which I, I was like, that's one thing I couldn't believe about the movie. I'm like, she would never be a backup dancer on Broadway. She would be a, a featured yeah. or principal dancer for sure. Is she the one who was uh, married to Wayne Gretzky? No, that's... No, she yeah, was married to yeah. Richard Anyway, Marks. I just so, wanted to say... They're practically the same Rhodes. person. Who is married to Wayne Gretzky? They look, they look a lot similar. alike, don't they? But anyway, I, I, like I don't her. know if I have her name right. I may have her name wrong, but it's um, the gymnastics girl. The one that did that horrible, horrible movie. American with, Anthem. Uh, <laughs> American yeah. Anthem, yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. Oh, my God. You know where this belongs? It belongs in Jen's trivia game. Who wants to play? Brad. I do. <laughs> <laughs> you are so warmed up right now. Brad. All right. Shall we play a game? Shall we play a game? Love to. Love to. Love to. So today's game is called Doctor Doctor. And how this goes is this. There are three rounds. And I'm going to describe doctors. Hence the name. First round will be doctors in the movies. Second round will be doctors on TV. And the third round will be actual real life doctors. Whoa. Oh, no. Here we go. So there's going to be five chances to earn points in each one. So in the first round, Doctors in the Movie, I'm going to have you tell me the name of the movie. Everybody got it? And everyone want to practice ringing okay. in? Go. Steve. Feel. Brad. All right. All right. Here we go. Sean Young. Steve. Steve. Young Doctors in Love. That is correct. One yes. point for Steve. Sean Young, Michael McKean, Dabney Coleman, and Harry Dean Stanton, and the awesome Taylor Negron star in this 1982 comedy directed by Gary Marshall. That was Young Doctors in Love. Seen by six people. Including Steve. <laughs> yes, Steve. <laughs> I can't wait to do the podcast on that one. All right, here we go. Based on the novel Calling Dr. Horowitz, this 1980 flick about pre-med students at a Central American school features Daphne Zuniga... Steve the Goot Gutenberg oh, and Steve. a boatload ah. of Steve. Bad medicine. That is correct. <sighs> yes. <laughs> Alright, he's kind of on fire. Let's see. Daphne Zuniga stars in yet another not great movie about pre-med students. This time with a fun and free-spirited Matthew Modine. I call Steve. it the sure Steve, thing. Steve, 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 Steve. Go ahead, Steve. Uh, gross anatomy. <laughs> it is gross anatomy. I call it the sure thing, but at med school. All right. I told you I was going to suck at this. <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I just, I've just refused no, you... to lose to Brad this week. Steve's on Don't fire. Steve's on fire. All right. Here's Embrace number four. It. This 1988 film, directed and co-written by David Cronenberg, is about identical twin gynecologists. Brad. Oh. Brad. Oh, wait. Identical twin gynecologists. Uh, uh, terms of endearment. <laughs> I don't know. That is not. I don't know. I don't know. Keep going. Keep back. Keep going. All right. I'm gonna. I'm, there's a little bit more. Wikipedia accurately describes it as a psychological body horror drama. 1988. 1988. David Cronenberg, identical twin gynecologist. I know this movie, identical and I can't think of the name of it. That'd be a good Gail. band name. 
Gail. Dead Ringers. Yes! I've never even heard of that movie. <laughs> it's really good. It's creepy as hell, but... You know what? There's another movie that's about that just came out with a very similar premise. It's like two brothers who are therapists. They're twins, and they mess with this one woman who's involved with both of them. It sounds really weird. And it reminded me of this movie. Ugh. Ugh. All right. It creeps me out just to even think about Dead Ringers, so let's move on. The name of this movie is the name of the doctor at the center of it, but he's not a doctor. Steve. He's a professor. Steve. Creator. He's a professor of comparative literature turned pimp. Devo performs Brad. a theme song. Steve, God damn it! Brad. I can't believe yes, I'm going to miss this one. Dr. Detroit. Yeah. All right. Whew. If I miss that one, I have to send in all my Devo Club paraphernalia. Oh, man, that kills me. All right, so this is good. This is a good, lively round. Steve, you got three. Gail, you got one. Brad, you got one. We're moving on to round two. Okay. TV doctors. Now, in this round, I want you to tell me the name of the doctor. Oh, boy. Okay. I'm going to fail. Here we go. Dr. Drake Ramore. That's the spirit. All right. (laughs) This MD used to be on MASH, played by a completely different actor. Um, uh, Brad. Brad. BJ Honeycutt. Mm, no. 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 This no. MD Steve, 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 Steve. Got me? Ready? Is it me? Yeah. Hawkeye. Go for it, Steve. Hawkeye. This MD no! used to be on MASH, played by a completely different actor. Oh, God. Gail, you got a free shot here. All right. I mean, so I can, now I can just talk out loud. Mm-hmm. We've, we got through. rid of uh, Hawkeye and we got rid of BJ. And I, is it Winchester? Is no. it? Is it? Um, <laughs> oh, man. Is it? Uh, is it Hot Lips Houlihan? She's a nurse. Trapper John. It's Trapper John. Oh, Trapper John. Yeah. As soon as I said BJ Honeycutt, I'm like, nope, that's wrong. You other one. Wrong. Yeah. The other one. That's the other All one. right. Tell me yep. the name of this doctor. This young doctor was like really young. Brad. So young. Steve. Brad. Doogie Hauser. So young that the pilot has him interrupting his driver's license test to help an injured person in an accident. Doogie Hauser, MD, a point for Brad. <laughs> this doctor had more dead patients than live ones. As an LA County medical examiner, Steve. he put the medical. Yes, Steve. Quincy. Quincy. Oh, I love that show. Yeah. Good old Quincy. He put the medical in medical mystery drama. Ran on NBC from 1976 to 1983. Wow. And he lived on a boat, which just seems so exotic to me when I lived in Oklahoma. <laughs> Boy. This dashing young doctor, played by Denzel Washington, was one of a large cast of white coats on a show. Yes, Gail. Oh, my God. Uh, Dr. Chandler. Oh, my God. Yes. Gail gets up. This oh, is my God. favorite show oh. in the entire world ever. St. Elsewhere. Yeah. This, yes. I, this I is my show. favorite little show, fact. One critic called St. Elsewhere Hill Street Blues in a Hospital. So good. Ah, it's the so best good. show in the entire world ever of all time. And here is the final question for this round. This doctor made the rounds on a series set at fictional Manhattan General Hospital. It aired on CBS for only one season, 1986 to 1987, which is why no one will get this one. (laughs) Were you trying to warm us up for the cruise here? (laughs) Um, Hang on. On CBS? CBS. Um, Brad. Brad. Chicago. Good guess, but wrong. Is it? It's. Oh, shit. Is this from After Mash? No, but that okay. would have been a good one, too. Ready? 
Dr. K. O'Brien from the show K. O'Brien. Has anyone heard of this show? No. Never. I haven't either, and I've heard of a lot of shows. <laughs> I, I, I do <laughs> applaud you for not giving us Dr. Noah Drake. Yeah, I, I didn't want to make it too easy. All right, round. This is the round three, our final round. Actual real life doctors, and I'm going to have you tell me the name of the doctor again this time. Oh, boy. Here we go. This pediatric surgeon and public health administrator served as the 13th surgeon. Yes, Steve. Uh, Dr. Spock. This. Gail. Yes, Gail. C. Everett Coop. Yes, ma'am. C. Dr. C. Everett Coop. I'm going to read those facts so that you can learn. You got the C. Brad, we're going to lose this. We're going to lose this, Brad. No, you're not. No, you're so, Doctor C. Everett Coop served as the 13th Surgeon General of the U.S. under President Reagan from 82 to 89. According to the Associated Press, he was the only Surgeon General to become a household name. Well, at least in Gail's household. Yeah. There's a um, no, I, yeah. there's That's a very good. funny uh, episode of The Simpsons where they do their barbershop quartet, oh, yeah, and yeah, yeah. they create a song. It's sort of at the end of their career where they are, are having trouble coming up with topics for songs, and they write a whole song about C. Everett Coop. They're <laughs> <laughs> very funny. The B sharps. The B sharps. The B sharps. Exactly. Oh my gosh. Oh my gosh. That's funny. all right. Here we go. This psychologist gave people advice in her newspaper and magazine. Gail. Gail. Damn. Uh, I was going to say um, Dr. Ruth Westheimer. But then as, you went newspaper. And magazine columns, as well as books. Brad. Yes, Brad. Dr. Joyce Brothers. One point for B-Rad. Oh, oh, damn. As well as, as well as books such as What Every Woman Should Know About Men, which was published in 1981. She also played herself in movies. King of Comedy, The Lonely Guy, and Oh God, Book Two are just a few of her movie credits. I forgot she's, she's great in the Lonely Guy. Oh my gosh. <laughs> yep. That's so funny. All right. Here we go. Number three. This diminutive German doctor. Steve, 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 on the, Steve, Steve. Uh, Steve, 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 Steve. Dr. Ruth Westheimer. Dr. Ruth Westheimer. For Steve, this diminutive German doctor appeared on the Lifetime Channel for years, giving an adolescent Jen with one end the straight dope on everything from <laughs> condoms to orgasms. Oh, I didn't need to know that. I think <laughs> she did that for a lot of people, actually. It wasn't just, yeah, it wasn't just, it wasn't a one-on-one, okay. yeah. The show was on every night, you guys. <laughs> All right, here we go. In the 80s, this doctor wrote a series of articles for the journal Medicine and Law that laid out his thinking on the ethics of euthanasia. In 1987, he's... Oh, Gail. Gail I'm going to go with Gail because she said O first. (laughs) (laughs) Is that Jack Kevorkian? Dr. Jack Kevorkian. A point for Gail. Very good. Yeah. In 1987, he started advertising in Detroit newspapers as a physician consultant for, quote, death counseling. Oh, my gosh. Jen, I'm so bummed that Dr. Emil Schuffhausen has not come up on this trivia game. Dr. Schuffhausen. Dr. Hafar. Dr. Oh, Dr. Hafar. <laughs> oh. All right, well, this is the final one here. This professional retired in 1987 at the age of 37. He was an excellent all-around player who was also an underrated defender. In his ABA days, he would guard Steve, the best Brad, forward. Uh, for- definitely Steve. Dr. J. Dr. J. Dr. J. Tell me that was the winning margin. Let me finish reading these facts because it may, it, I was like giggling the whole time. In his ABA days, he would guard the best forward for over 40 minutes a game and simultaneously be the best passer, ball handler, and clutch scorer every night. He is considered by many as the greatest dunker of all time. Let me tally the points here. Brad, three points. Gail, four points. 
Oh. Stephen Q. Spears, six points. Yes! Congratulations. Oh, we God. didn't even have to use my Johnny Fever tiebreaker. Oh, that would have been a good one. Oh, Johnny. <laughs> hey, I got the that bronze. That was good. You know Congratulations. What you know what they say? Bronze medal winners are happier than silver medal winners. Who says that? Everybody. It's true. Oh. Because if you, if you, uh, you want, especially in team sports where there's like a gold medal game and a bronze medal game, like the, happy to be the, there. the silver medal team is like, oh, we were so close to gold and the bronze medal winners are like, we made it. We got something for this. Oh, I'm going to start saying that then. Thanks for <laughs> Oh, my God. That was really tough. I mean, that was yeah, a good that was one. Hard. That was good. Good, good. Well, it was good. Everybody got a little bit of something, something there. That's good. Uh, well, guys, thanks for being on our show today. Yeah, that was fun. Yeah, thank yeah, you. thanks for having us. Yeah, you guys think it you'll come fun. back on? Maybe we could talk about Terms of Endearment or Steel Magnolias <laughs> or something? Oh, no. <laughs> Let me check my calendar. <laughs> oh, look at the time. But, uh, Brad, you've already said it, like, makes your wife so happy. Well, that one did. Very odd. Yeah. No, not so odd. Not odd at all. <laughs> so I want to say thanks to our co-hosts, Steve Spears and B-Rad. Thanks, you guys. Appreciate sure. you making Always the a sacrifice. Pleasure. Always a pleasure. And thanks, Gail from D.C. I feel like we need to thank you. Uh, it's Jen with one N signing off, thanking you for the time of our life as we remain here, hopelessly stuck in the 80s. Time of my life. No, I never felt this way before. Never felt yes, I swear it's true. And Stuck in the 80s is a member of the CLNS Media Network. Special thanks to Check Battery Daily for our theme music. And don't forget to subscribe to the podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, or the CLNS Media mobile app.